0: morning <clears throat> it is good to see everybody again this morning as we come together and so forth and uh, as we're looking at things here uh, this morning uh, and really this week next week um, and then uh, and following I want to introduce the theme of 2024 for us and uh, as my habit is has been since I've been teaching uh, and so forth is, I kind of like to have a, a theme, an underlining idea for the year. And uh, the theme for 2024 is there's some things that Paul requires us to know, not just would like us to know, but I think he requires us to know. And uh, there's some things in here that as we just kind of introduce it this morning with you uh, to give you an idea, um, as we begin to look at different things, There. <laughs> And I'm going to give you an illustration of what we're talking about here as we go. But before we begin to do that, the Apostle Paul quotes the Old Testament quite a bit. And and I would say he quotes it 180 times and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, somebody's going to have 150 and somebody's going to have one. And it's all a matter of, is it an exact quote or is it just a allurement? But when he does that, he will talk about Adam. He'll talk about Abraham. He'll talk about Moses. He'll talk about David. He'll talk about the Old Testament prophets. By the way, when he talks about the prophets, he never says, as it is fulfilled. He says, as it is written, because you and I don't fulfill prophecy. See, So he's very, per- but he'll begin to talk about that. He'll talk about the nation of Israel. He'll talk about the, the cross of Calvary. He'll talk about Christ and his earthly ministry. Actually, here in chapter 15, verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father. And he talks about that, and he gets into it, and he requires you. I I was going to say he would like you to know, but no, he requires you to know your Scripture. And, And I think that's important as we think about different things and we look at those allurements. He will talk to you... I know it's not on your list, but I'm the teacher. So go to Titus 1. Get Titus 1 and get 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There's something here, and this is going to be something we're going to, again, in, in the coming studies and everything, get into. Look at Titus 1. Titus 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and a, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised, notice, before the world began. Now let me ask you something. Before Genesis 1-1, who was there that God would make a promise to? Just himself. So the Godhead. So now we have to understand the Godhead how they live, how they function, how they interact. Then we've got to understand that they made a promise. God the Father, by the way, we call him the Son. His real name, 1 John 5, is the Word. See? then So we've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and they make an agreement to provide a redemption plan for humanity called eternal life. So there's a development of a plan. So Paul's going to literally drag us back into eternity past and give us a view into eternity past and it, now come to 1 Corinthians 2 when he does that by and and in the old testament again we have to remember who Paul is Paul is a he's a rabbinical scholar he is sat at the feet of Gamaliel trained by the leading scholarship of the day of his day he understands the old testament scripture he understands it completely far better than than really most of his day. And when you think about him understanding that when he says eternity passed and before the world began, he's literally dragging us back to Proverbs. Where in Proverbs in the Old Testament, we see mention of things that were happening that God had wisdom and knowledge and understanding prior to creation. And how when God created, he created it based upon wisdom and knowledge. And under- And Paul's pointing to that. He says, you need to understand this. It's a critical thing to understand that before God said, let there be, Genesis 1-1 I'm talking about, he had a whole structure, a whole plan, and that everything that happened and took place in God's purpose, and God's plan, wasn't an afterthought, wasn't in reaction to, see. Look at 1 Timothy 2, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, and we're just jumping in, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now think about this hidden wisdom of God, the mystery, that we preach and teach and stand for and so forth. It was on the table when? Before the world. That's fascinating to me. By the way, you can tell what I'm working on right now because it's right here. (laughs) It's fascinating as he sits there and says, before God said in the beginning, let there be a heaven and an earth, and he created, before he even did all of that, he had the plan, the program handled out. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this piece of the blueprint called the mystery, and I'm going to, i got to leave it out so I remember to read the definitions, fold it, I'm going to stick it in the shirt pocket, the jacket pocket, and I'm going to hide it in me. So Paul says the truth was hid in God. Now look at Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret, notice, since the world began, but wait a minute, 1 Corinthians 2 said it was hidden before the world began. And then in 1625, it's been hidden since the world began. So you know what happened? Before the world began, God hid this information. And then when he created it, he kept it hid. He didn't reveal it. Follow that? Paul says, you need to know this. You need to understand what's happening. So we're going to travel back in time. we're going to study the Godhead. We're going to look at what's going on. And when that happens, now come to Romans 15, what that begins to do and what that begins to happen is, is that you need to remember your Old, you need to know your Old Testament. And it's critical as we look at different doctrines. Have you guys heard of the gap theory? Do you know that the gap theory is not a theory at all? It's actually a doctrinal truth in Scripture and Paul requires you to believe in it? (gasps) Well, wait a minute. I know we all say, well, it's something we can agree to disagree on. Paul says, no, it's not. And when we look at it, so guys, now we're going to go look at that and think about that and think it through scripturally. And I'm not doing this so you know more than I or me, you. It's stuff that when I read this, when... Don't do it, Rick. Stand for Romans 50. When you read this, and you read when Paul makes these references to the Old Testament and the things that are there, he's not doing it to fill up paper. There is not a wasted word in the scriptures. Even the little a, the little word a, is therefore a reason at, by, of, in, Little two-letter words are critical. The Lord actually hangs doctrine on punctuation, on a comma, on a colon. It's fascinating. Paul says, you ought to know this. Oh, but Rick, we just wrote Romans to Philemon. No, you read that, get that into your inner man, that helps with the daily living, yeah. But man, when you get to looking at, get into the study, he says, you know what? You need to know what's going on. And you can disagree with me, and that's fine. I, I you don't hurt my feelings. It's okay if you want to be wrong. It's fine. See, some of you got that, okay? All right. I, w- I don't want you to. I want you to understand. I want you to come to enjoy the scriptures. So as we look at different topics, oh, I got to do this. Look look at Second Corinthians four. Just the thing there about the gap theory, and it's not really a theory. There's actually a doctrine called the doctrine of incol- in- incolation. I'm going to say it wrong. incorrelation in- or incalendation, in- in- something like that. I have to read it. I have to see it. Where God reveals information here and he leaves a gap in it. And then later he comes and reveals the information that fills that void. And you as a Bible student are to take it and put it and go, aha. You know why? Because Israel did that. See? Look at 2 Corinthians 4, this, our great passage, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind. Do you see that, the God of this world? Now, if I said, who is that? Everybody in the room would say, Satan, the adversary. But how do you know that? You know that from other study. But when you look at where this sits in Corinthians, in the edification process of a believer that needs the Corinthian corrective doctrines, there's not a lot in the Scriptures about the God of this world. There really isn't. There's about Satan and his devices, and there's different things. But who in the world is this God of this world? Isn't that interesting? Do you know that in Romans 16 is the first time in the book of Romans... Paul brings up Satan. He doesn't mention it in the other 15 chapters, 15 and a half chapters. But here he uses a title, God of this world. Now, drop your eye down to verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see verse 6? When did God command the light to shine out of darkness? Genesis 1, verse 3, first day. So do you see how Paul takes God of this world? Well, where would I learn about that? Genesis 1, 1 and 1-2. Because he connects it with 1-3 when God commanded the light. Paul is telling you, you need to understand what happened between 1-1 and 1-2. And not only understand it, you need to believe it. Now we go to Isaiah fourteen, Ezekiel twenty eight. We go other places, and that's what the that's legitimate. I'm not saying it's wrong, but see, Paul makes references to put passages you need. You should understand. Now you don't understand it completely. I get that. You learn it as you go, but at least you would have a working understanding, knowledge of what happened between. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And there's an introduction of a water under the scene that was not in one one. And how you know that is Revelation 22. See, I'm off the topic and but that's okay. Revelation 22, I'm, I'm sorry, 21. Revelation 21, one, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Where do we see the introduction of a sea? Genesis 1, verse 2. And what we begin to learn is that God uses water as a form of judgment. So now you've got to look at all. So my point is, is as we do this, come back to Romans 15. As we do this and as we look at these different topics, We're looking at them because Paul makes reference. He requires you to understand what he's talking about so that you can understand, get the doctrinal benefit from it. So in Romans 15, verse 1, "...we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ please not himself, but as it is written..." The reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. He quotes Psalm 69. Now think about what Paul's doing here. Actually, we're after verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. But you can't just jump in at verse 4 because verse 4 has got a context of verse 1, 2, and 3. And at Rome and then the Romans and then the foundational doctrine, what Paul is doing here is Paul, by bringing up, this issue in verse 3 about even Christ pleased not himself. He begins to introduce an attitude of grace living for each other. The one anotherings of Paul. February is the, is the hallmark month of love because it's Valentine's Day. You know, if you've got to have a day on a calendar to love someone, you're in trouble. Okay, So what, So you've got all this, and Paul has a love language It's called the one-anotherings, okay? And the one-anotherings of Paul, and he begins to bring up this issue of how, you know what? When Christ died on the cross, he was not consumed with himself. He was consumed with who? You and I. Others. So he brings in Psalm 69. By the way, as it is written, he doesn't say as it was fulfilled. He says, as it was written, Psalm 69, 9, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. So as Paul brings in this attitude, this thinking, he wasn't the Lord and at Calvary, we weren't there, but he understood the pro, He understood what was coming, who was coming, what he was doing. Paul begins to, to shine a light in on just as Christ did. This is his attitude. Just as he let himself, his liberty, his rights go, we can do the same. And what he begins to do now in verse 4, just as Christ stands as that eternal testimony that he didn't die for his own self-benefit, but rather he died for the... Offender, the transgressor. Now Paul begins to let us look into the mind of Christ, into thinking. If you drop down to verse 7, Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. How do we apply the thinking, the mindset that Christ had to our own situation, our own life? How do we do that? How do we look around and say, hey, how would Christ think about this in this situation? And he begins to do that in verse 4 and 5. He begins to teach us something here in verse 4 and 5 about God's Word. And he does it to illustrate how then we are to take God's Word, the Word rightly divided, the Word of truth, and then apply it to the details of life. How are we going to come over here and look at things? I mean, if you think about it, Paul's been doing ministry for quite a while before he writes Romans. But Romans doctrine, he's been teaching since day one. He's been up and going with it. He just had to sit and write it. It sits first that edification process the foundation being laid not only just our justification in the first 5 chapters but in 6 7 and 8 our identification here's who you are here's your relationship to sin you're dead by the way here's your relationship to the law it's dead by the way by the way dead men don't tell tales right dead men have no have no control over you it's interesting not even if they have a living trust <laughs> Because as soon as they're dead and you got the death certificate, what does the trustee or the executor have to do? Play out the trust. And when the trust is empty, guess what? It's done. Dead man don't have any control. If I'm dead to sin, it has no control over me. The only reason it does, or only reason I sin is because I allow it to do it. The law, I'm dead to it. By the way, I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God, the Father. The law, I'm dead to the law. The law doesn't, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. So the, the, the law doesn't run my life, the if then. By the way, I'm dead to the law and I'm alive to Christ. Then you come into Romans 8 and you find out you're dead to the flesh. The stinking flesh thing doesn't control me either. I'm dead to it. By the way, I'm alive to the spirit. So I got an identification. Then I come over here in Romans 9, 10, and 11 and I learned that I'm not Israel, I'm the body. And this is what God's doing with Israel during the body of Christ, during the dispensation of grace. Now I come to chapter 12 to 16 and I go, okay, I'm going to put all 11 chapters into duty, into, into work. That's why he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1. What are the mercies of God? Chapters 1 to 11. That you present your body a Living sacrifice. And now he introduces a living sacrifice principle of what 12 to 16 is covering. And right in the middle of it, he says, Here's what your mindset ought to be, and your mindset ought to be the way God thinks. And how does God think? Well, glad you ask. Verse 4. Say. For whatsoever, I love that. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Notice the language. Whatsoever. That is more intense than whatever. Whatsoever. It carry, pay attention, not whatever. What up? <laughs> not that. Not that slang of the day. Whatsoever. It's a broader term. Paul is in, he's invoking all that is written. Genesis to Revelation. All of it. And again, we study it dispensationally. We study it rightly divided because it's there for our learning. Notice it doesn't say obedience. Ooh. So when we get into thinking about giving, cheerful giver, we don't go back and go to Malachi 3 in a tithe situation. Now, do we, should we learn about the tithe situation? Yeah, that's pretty good to know. What's going on? We learn we just don't obey that. What do we obey? The cheerful giver. Follow that. See the, he's whatsoever is written for our learning. Come back to chapter 1 of We we can learn. We can we can love to learn, believe it or not. Chapter 1 of Romans. And we're learning from God's word. Just as we dispensationally Bible study it out, make it, put it where it belongs and who's, the who, what, where's and when's, we begin to look at things. Look at Romans 1 verse 5. Think about this. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. So by whom? Well, verse 4. Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. By whom? All right, who's that? Verse 3. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Do you realize that Paul talks about the seed of David quite a bit? At least in two critical passages. And when he does that, you know what he's saying? He's saying that the Messiah of Israel is the head of the body. It's the same guy in two different roles. In other words, we didn't have a new Jesus show up. We had new information about the Christ. Got to catch those little nuances. But look at verse 5. He says, by whom? So by the Son of Jesus Christ our Lord. We have received grace and apostleship. Now watch. For obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. His apostleship and the grace that was given to Paul is for the obedience, notice, not of the faith, to the faith. That's not my faith in, that's faith. That's the content of the doctrine, the faith. He says, listen, I got some information. I'm giving it to you, and it's the faith. We call it the faith. One Lord, one faith. There's a." doctrinal source of information here. And you know what? God God commanded everybody come in obedience to the faith. So when people say, well, you guys rightly divide, you do this and that. No, you know why we dispensational Bible study? Because Romans 16, 26 says God commanded that we do it that way. And I'm in for obeying the commandments of God. Okay, So when you think about what Paul's doing, his apostleship and the faith, the message of grace given to him, is for our obedience. What did Romans 15:4 say? The things whatsoever written aforetime are written for our learning. Come over to Romans 16 25. And again, I just stress this because as we go through the year, and, and we're not going to always talk about this stuff all the time, but As we do the underlining theme, I'm going to refer to our learning, not our obedience. What is our obedience? Our obedience is what Paul gives us. Romans 16, 25, and 26 again. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, Paul says, If you think you're a prophet or spiritual, you're going to acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Here's the command. People think grace, there's no commands. No, there are commands in grace. There are laws in grace. Now, the application of the discipline of breaking them is different, but there are things that you are to do, and there are things that you're not to do. And he says, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations. By the way, just FYI, made known to all nations. Do you know that not all nations speak English, right? Please shake your head yes, okay? So therefore, the word of God has to be in that nation that doesn't speak English's language. So there has to be an equivalent to our King James Bible in their language, and has to be. Why? Why? Because what did 26 just say? It's going to be there. For the obedience of faith. Now think about what Romans 1 said. Obedience to the faith. And here it's the obedience of faith. That's different, isn't it? Of and to. Now my faith is going to obey the establishment doctrine, the edification process here. You guys with me? Did I lose you? All right, Romans 15. So, when he begins, when we get started, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, not obedience, learning. When we come in, the things that we're going to look at in the Old Testament, in the prophets, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all there for our learning. The things written, the. These are intended to do something for us, to accomplish the things that are written that, here's the purpose and the intent of the things written, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Where do I get my hope from? By by the way, drop down to verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Believing what? Believing that you know, today's Sunday. No, believing what the scriptures tell us, as I've studied and looked into, and I've got the. Pa- By the way, through patience, <laughs> peace under pressure. Not a lot of patience today. If it doesn't zap it in 20 seconds or less, I'm moving on. Okay. By the way, I found out bacon you can heat up in like 20 seconds. That pre-cooked stuff, it's chewy, but it's not bad when you got a bacon fix need. Okay. But see, the thing, 20, I'm like, 20 seconds, that's a long time. But it's really not. Why? Because, boom, no, patience. You know, Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, studying of the scriptures weary to the flesh, you know. But you got to have patience, get into it. That, the purpose, the intent, the focus of the Scriptures, verse 4, and believing, Joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. I'm in verse 13, sorry. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. Verse 4, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now, verse 5, the God of patience, uh uh-oh, and consolation, there's comfort, grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. You see the script, the Spirit? You see God? God? They possess, the Godhead possesses the same character, the attitude, the trust that we are intended to have and to produce. You got patience, you got comfort, you got consolation, you've got hope. How do I get there? I get there through the scriptures as I begin to say, okay, this is Israel's program, but I can learn from it this is my program. I can look in and I can see the details and, and I can learn from this and I obey this. Come with me to 1 Corinthians 10. Just let me illustrate this out for you the rest of this morning. 1 Corinthians 10. Paul clearly is laying out, we're to study that Old Testament. We're to learn something about God. We are we are to see how does the God of patience and consolation how does he produce comfort and patience and hope in you He's going to do it through the things written He's using the written word to do that And Paul comes in and says we're, to, we're going to use that Old Testament and we're going to look at things and we're going to look and we're going to begin to learn Now look at 1 Corinthians 10 we'll start in verse 1 because this is and I'm just using this as an illustration here cuz it's pretty clear <laughs> and it's not one of those things you got to think about you just read as paul illustrates this how the old testament can impact us today in our learning so we learn something about how God thinks, and then I can take that learning and I can put it into my thinking, and then I can begin to think the same way. Because when we talk about the Godhead, you and I are to think like God thinks. You, we have that capability. Okay, We have the mind of Christ, First Corinthians 2 says, we can think like God thinks, we just got to get there. How do we get there? We study the scriptures. Here's how God thinks about it. Here's how I'm going to think about it now. 10.1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. It's interesting. This is one of the six ignorant brethren statements. All six of them deal with doctrine. Here's doctrine of the life. How that all our fathers were under the sea and all passed through. I'm sorry. All our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So we're going to have some Israel history of Israel here. Uh, there's no Gentile ever under the cloud. Okay, this is all Israel. No Gentile passed through the sea. By the way, who passed through the sea? Israel did. When the Pharaohs and his army hit the Gentiles hit it, what did God do? Destroyed them. Say. By the way, Israel's first baptism was a dry baptism. On dry ground. What did that baptism through the Red Sea do? It identified them as God's firstborn, as the nation of Israel. So baptism in its original use, in its original showing up, is an issue of identification, period. The mechanism is different. Verse 2, "...and all were baptized unto Moses and the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual rock, drink, sorry, for they drank of that spiritual rock." that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, that's interesting. The rock. To the Corinthians, he's laying out some issues of life. Paul comes in through the progressive revelation, and you know what he does? He shines a light back into Deuteronomy 32, which is where the big rock, the big R rock shows up. By the way, in Deuteronomy 32, it never says it's the Messiah. You know how you know? Paul says it right there. Doctrine from a remoter context, going back into Deuteronomy 32, identifies who the big rock is, the big R rock, because what has happened in Israel is they have gone after a little rock, Baal worship, idolatry, okay? So Paul's shining some light, but notice what Paul does. Our present understanding shines great light on that Old Testament. Watch verse 5, but... With many of them, God was not well pleased. Now, notice that. So, if you're thinking about lifestyle, what, where in the world would you see a lifestyle that God was not well pleased with? Well, Paul's going to tell you, because you're reading Paul, you're Pauline, your dispensation of grace, your body of Christ, and Paul says, you know what? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, who's the they? Well, the they is all them that were passed under the cloud and through the sea and were baptized unto Moses and went after the, 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 the did drink of that spiritual drink and so forth. That's Israel. That's Deuteronomy. That's, that's, that's all of the Old Testament there. Verse 6, now these things were our examples. To the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now that's interesting because he uses a word example. Now an example ex in verse eleven. Now these things happened unto them for in samples and everybody goes all oh, examples and in samples are the same. No, they're not. An example ex that is an outward. Outform, without, it's an exit, it's literally a sample from without. An in-sample is just, it's in, inside, it's from within, it's the entrance, it's literally a sample from within. And it's interesting when you have this debate about, well, they're old English and this and that. No, the context is going to tell us something here. The word example is commonly used and commonly understood to be a pattern of something or some process that is to be noted, copied if favorable, shunned if unfavorable. So the question someone poses was, what's the difference between the well-known word example and the seldom-used word in-sample? And the in-sample is always and only refers to man's characteristics and behavior. In-sample never applies to the inanimate product. Did I lose you? Don't. don't, Stay with me because we're going to see it here. Example, on the other hand, may apply to both personal or, and is typically used, general product and process, not personal. Notice verse 6 carefully. In verses 1 to 6, There is no personal characteristic revealed. We only know all did this and that, and then God overthrew them. He doesn't say, Rick did this. Now, okay, that's an end sample. Verse 11. All these things happen unto them for an end sample. Now, after a list, there's a personal of personal characteristics. Verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters, and lusted, and off you go. They lusted after the evil things. So in verses 1 through 5, it's the group. There's no personal. Then in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, it's what? Very personal. What did they do? They did this. So the word in-sample is used with an exact amount to flee from idolatry, which is what he gets down to in verse 14. So as we look at this, we see an example. Who? Israel, the nation as a whole. But then we see this end sample. What did they do? Well, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. So when God, verse 6, now these these things were our example to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 5, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. Why was he not well pleased? Why were they overthrown in the garden? I mean, in the wilderness? Because look at what they went and did. Look at their lifestyle. So Paul pulls us back to Exodus 32, Numbers 25, Numbers 21, Numbers 14. And he begins to lay in. He goes back into that Old Testament. And he begins to lay in the things that Israel did to cause them, to cause God to not be well pleased with them. So here you and I are, and you know what he does? He says, We need to learn from that, guys. We need to learn. If we want a lifestyle that's well pleasing, then we don't need to be doing what Israel did. And and he drags us back. We can learn a spiritual application here. By the way, come over to Galatians 5. Actually, if the Corinthians had been paying attention, then they would have understood from Romans 1 the list of the no-nos. But go over to Galatians 5. Because Paul likes lists. Galatians 5 and verse 16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other. So you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. You know that if you're living in who you are in Christ, that the Spirit will never lead you to live a legalistic lifestyle. He leads you to live under grace. Not the law. So if you're living a legalistic lifestyle, you know where you're living? In the flesh. Yeah, that's pretty serious. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And then he lists them for you. He said, here's, a, here's what your flesh produces. That's a rough deal. Now, go back there to 1 Corinthians 10. By the way, you get another list in Ephesians and so forth, but time. Just go back to 1 Corinthians 10. My point is, as Paul says, the Old Testament is there for our learning so we can learn something about God and how God thinks and that we can have that impact us. 1 Corinthians 10, again, not to go through verse 7, 8, and 9. Verse 7, he says, "...neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them." The ye, the Corinthians, as were some of them, Israel. See how he did that. Here's what you see. What they did, don't you do that? See what they're doing, don't you do that? Verse eight. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. You see what they're doing? Don't do that. That's that gets you in the wrong category with how God thinks about this. You, you come down to verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them. Neither Verse 10, neither murmur ye as some of them. You see that back and forth? That's what he's doing. Look at what they did. Look at the result of their activity. God was not well pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. They were carried off into captivity. Don't you do that because if you do that, you're going to be carried off into captivity of the adversary and you're going to be Ill, you're not going to be effective as an ambassador in, in God. for Christ today. In the age of grace, in the body of Christ, you're going to be worthless and useless, so knock it off. But he uses it as a teaching element. Verse 9, verse 10, verse 9 there, uh, well, verse 11, sorry. I'll get there eventually. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, the inward issue, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Isn't that interesting? You think you're doing good, you better be careful because one of these little items pop up and you're gone. The end sample, our admonishment, our admonition. This is a warning by Paul. He uses Israel's lifestyle, Israel's history to come in and to take and make a spiritual application for you and I that we need to take our lifestyle serious. And if we don't, we're going to end up being useless for God's work and for God's ministry. Come back to Romans 15. So as we look at this and we kind of start here, verse 4, The Old Testament, the things for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that, the purpose, the intent, not for obedience, it's for our learning so that we can can learn something about the Godhead, how they think, verse 3, how did Christ think when he was hanging on Calvary? He thought Psalm 69. The reproaches of them are on me and I'm good to go. He thought Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He understood the will and the word of the Father so completely, so so thoroughly that he went and did it. And he doesn't say my will. I'm doing it my, my way. He says that I'm doing it God's way. God the Father takes the son and he teaches him. He trains him. Hebrews 5 says that even though he were a son, he learned through the things that he suffered. He learns that. He takes it. There, the, the mysteries of the kingdom in Matthew there, Matthew 13. Do you know that none of that is in the Old Testament? That stuff revealed to the son from the father. He reveals it. He gives it to the 12. It's written. It's there. It's all there. Then the son takes the scriptures and he begins to learn about the Messiah back there in the Old Testament as he's prophesied and looked at and he comes to do it and he says, you know what? I'm doing what that verse says. I'm that guy. This is me. The things that were written in the volume of the book concerning me. You see, he didn't come in with everything. He came in his humanity, and in his humanity as man. There, you know you're limited, right? I'm limited every time I go to Pizza Hut. <laughs> Limit? You're limited. In his humanity, what was he? He, was, he had a limitation, if you will. And I know we don't like to think about Christ being limited, but in his humanity, he was. Why? Because he was made a little lower than the angels. He took on you. And what did he do? He says, hey, that book says, that's talking to me, not my will, but thy will is what I'm going to do, Father. And he began, and we're going to look into all of that, by the way, when we talk about the Godhead. But the point is, is what Paul says is, listen, do you see how Christ thought about this? He took the will of the Father, the word of the Father, the purpose of the Father, and as a son, an adult son in the family, an adult son in the family, we call it sonship, Sonship in Scripture is when a son goes and does what the father requires of them to do as a child, demands it of the child. The son goes and willingly just does it for his own benefit. A child sits there and says, Dad, tell me what to do. A son says, I already know what Dad's going to say to do. Let's go do it anyway. And you know what the father then does? Steps back and lets the son do it and says, wow, look at that. He even made it better than I would have ever done it. And there's a relationship there that Paul is reaching into here in Romans 15. and He says, look, guys, do you see how Christ thought about that? In the garden when he says, not my will, he looks into that cup. And he says, not my will, but thy will be done. You know when he says, not my will, what was his will? Not to go through that wrath not to experience the second death, not to experience the, the death of the wicked, Psalm 69, not to go through that. But before the father could even say, yes, it is, <laughs> he says, not my will, but thy will be done. Because what did the son know? The son knew the father had told him, promised resurrection, promise that the pit wouldn't close its mouth on him, promise that death wouldn't hold him. And he says, you know what? I'm going to rest and rely on the, on the word of my father, and I'm going to go do his will. And Paul says, you take all of that in, and you know what? We then by patience, we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have what hope. And in today's age, hope is a fleeting thing for some. Where's your hope rest? It can't be in the world. The world's so temporal. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's here today, gone in an hour. Your hope has to rest on the one in the one who says, you know what? I went and did it. Galatians 2:20. By the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where my hope rests. My hope rests in the Son of God, the one who said, you know what, not my will, but thy will. I'm doing what the will of the Word of the Father says, and that's what I'm going to do, and that's the lifestyle, that's the thinking process, that's where I need to be. My hope rests in Him, because in anybody else, it's just going to fall apart. And if you don't believe me, just give me some time. Give me, Put your hope in me, give me about an hour, and I'll ruin it for you because I will. But in him I won't. And Paul says, "Hey, you know what? The father as the son as he as he quotes Psalm 69 resting on the word of God. That's where our hope is. Verse 5, "Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, like-minded. We have the same mindset as Christ. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. One mouth, one mind, one action, one. The mindset that we're to ultimately have In the relationships between all of us is verse 7. Receive you one another. By the way, in the context, it's the weaker brother and the stronger brother. But I'm backing it up. It's the way we're to think about it across the board. Paul says, you know how you're going to get there? You can go take a little walk back in Israel's history and you can see how they messed up. And let's not do that. Let's rather come over here and be who we are in Christ and be that living sacrifice. Put on the things that make God happy with you. Put off that old man. Put on the new man. Follow that? So as we introduce this idea about some things that God, that Paul's and I say require, he this is it's important. We'll talk about some more stuff next time, okay? All right, Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions that we have here for, the, for all of it. And as we think about these things and as we look into them, Lord, we do so with your honor and your glory on our heart and on our mind and as our goal. In your name we pray, amen. All right.